Hello and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be stricken with thoracomyodonia if you pained me with the idea that you missed this week's show. 23 NTC. The 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference is in April, hosted by N10. Come in person or join virtually. Nonprofit Radio will be there. Amy Sample Ward, N10's CEO and our technology contributor, tells us what's in store. And is a social enterprise for you? What are these and how do you decide whether to take one on or even consider it at your nonprofit? What kinds of businesses lend themselves to social enterprise, and how do you structure the relationship? Tamara Ryan makes sense of it all. She's CEO of Women's Bean Project. This originally aired December 13th, 2021. On Tony's Take Two, get in people's faces again, again. Here is 23NTC. What a pleasure to welcome back Amy Sample Ward, as it always is. You know who she is, but she deserves a proper introduction. CEO of N10 and our technology and social media contributor, their most recent co-authored book is The Tech That Comes Next, about equity and inclusiveness in technology development. They're at amysampleward.org and at Amy R.S. Ward. So good to welcome you back. Good to have you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited that in a few short weeks, we will not be over Zoom. That's indeed true. We will, <laughs> we will, uh, we will be hugging. Uh, so let's talk about what's coming up, this little thing, 23NTC, the Nonprofit Technology Conference in Denver. This small what, little thing we're working on. Yes, yeah, this little thing that you've been uh, it's just occupying a couple, a couple hours a week, I suppose. <laughs> right. A couple Since, of concurrent hours in my mind at all time yeah, yeah. what are we uh yeah i'm excited this is What's the, this is the first nonprofit technology conference that's happening back in person since 2019 however it is also our first hybrid ntc uh, so people are going to be participating in denver people are going to be participating you know, from their homes or offices virtually, and a number of sessions where both of those people are in the same session at the same time. So we're really trying to push, you know, push the limits of our own planning, <laughs> to push the AV team's abilities, all of those pieces, see what Zoom can do, all, all of that, and make a conference that feels really great and dynamic and has different options for different people, regardless of how you're joining or where you are or what comfort level or care needs you might have right now. So the in-person people will be uh, eligible for hybrid or for, for virtual presentations and the virtual audience is uh, is welcome to join in-person presentations, workshops. Yeah, not all of them, but so at any given uh, session block, there are sessions that are only happening in Denver. You have to physically be in the room. The presentation or the presenters are all in the room. Then there are sessions that are only happening online. If you're in Denver and you really want to see that session, you can also go online and, and watch it. Um, and, and there will be spaces where you could do that as a group too. Um, and there are hybrid sessions, which mean there is a room in Denver, there will likely be presenters in Denver, but there's also maybe a co-presenter online and an online audience. And so we have session hosts and facilitators in both places to make sure that the speakers are confident and comfortable managing all of that. And they're not trying to you know, watch the chat or see what's going on in the room. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be an experience. Um, I'm sure we will learn a lot. We are open to learning a lot, but like, you know, true N10 fashion, we will learn out loud with everyone else along with us, you know? You're making all the permutations available. 
Yes. Across, yes. across in-person and hybrid. All right. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, like how many sessions are we looking forward to? Oh my gosh. 150 some. I forget the 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 single digit number there, but over 150 and really incredible keynotes, which of course, you know, will be in both places. That'll be a hybrid. Um, and I'm not sure if you've never been to the NTC, what your uh, experience with conferences or sessions are, but we also have different types of sessions. So we have 30 minute sessions, which we try to plan during the day for when folks are in the you know, you couldn't take more than 25 minutes of talking before your brain um, shuts down. So there's short kind of tactical sessions. That's where we see a lot of great um, content, like do these five things to your website tomorrow, right? Like really clear to the point. And then we have longer 60 minute sessions and workshops um, and lots of diverse options in the longer session. Um, It's not just, you know, some conferences are very panel heavy. We do have co-presenters so that there's multiple perspectives and opinions that are being shared, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a session with two or three presenters is going to be a panel in its uh, presentation, right? It, it might just be three people facilitating it together. Uh, the dates, let's make sure everybody knows when we're talking about. Yeah, April 12th through 14th, which is a Wednesday through Friday, um, we totally know and can just say up front, we know that it conflicts with Passover and Ramadan, and we welcome the millions in legal fees that we would have had to pay to get out of it. (laughs) This was booked a while ago. All right. Yeah, well, it was a product of the pandemic rescheduling where we did have a contract before it felt like people could really come back. And so it got pushed to 2023 and, and we didn't really have a choice of what that was. Um, so. When was Denver supposed to have been? Was it supposed to be 2020? It was supposed to be 20 early 2022. Oh, it was supposed to be 2022. Okay. Yeah. But we pulled the community and folks just weren't ready for a big conference yet, you know, which is totally understandable. Lots of folks still aren't, which is why we have the hybrid and, and the virtual options, but um, at least moving it to 23 meant all communities could have access to vaccines. You know, we have people coming from lots of different countries to the conference um, traditionally. So really wanted to make sure that it felt like folks were at a place where they could be ready if they wanted to be to come to the conference. Um, and we have various options in place for folks who may either be feeling like this is their first conference um, and the pandemic is still happening and it feels really stressful or overwhelming there, you know, we're asking folks to wear masks. We will have masks available. I've already ordered them to the advanced warehouse, Uh, (laughs) you know, but we also have um, more lounges than we've ever had so that people can go to a smaller space um, and relax. Or uh, we've talked to the convention center about having different ways that people can eat, eat in smaller areas, eat outside, take their food wherever they want to go. So we really are trying to think both of impacts for folks who maybe are trying to, um, you know, they have observances for whether Ramadan, Passover, et cetera, and we can support how they engage through that or COVID concerns and how we can help them, you know, navigate a big conference with those as well. And 10, never afraid of uh, filling up their plate. I know. Technology-wise, accommodation-wise, equity, et cetera, it's all, you take it all on. Uh, Yeah. Always always admired. I admire it. Uh, Not admired passively, like somebody admires it. I admire it. I admire it. I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, it feels to us like we want to do the work to honor all the wholeness of the community so that everyone in the community feels like they are welcome it also is the kind of thing where you don't even realize like how much work it is to make thoughtful accommodations until you really open that door, step through it. And you're like, Oh, this is a whole room. This is not like a closet, right? I wasn't just grabbing a coat. I just went into a whole walk-in closet of, of options. So I really just shout out to the accessibility committee, which is all community members. And they work year round uh, with staff to, 
think about ways that we can make the conference even more accessible and support more community members. All these are the reasons why I always bring nonprofit radio to the uh, to NTC. This, uh, this is my eighth or ninth or something like that. Um, and so we'll be on the exhibit floor sharing a booth with uh, our sponsors, Heller Consulting. Oh, awesome. So come see us at uh, 424, uh, 424A. <laughs> the A, nonprofit radio is the A, but see, see us. So come see Team Heller. Very great, grateful for their sponsorship uh, of us at NTC. And I'll be capturing, oh, a dozen or 15 or roughly uh, interviews that will be on nonprofit radio in the coming months after April 12th to 14th. And Amy, of course, we'll get you. Uh, we'll get you in the schedule. I'll stop by the booth. We'll yes. do a chat. Yes, I, I got to get. I got to get you on the schedule because you're the. You know, you're all over. So <laughs> uh, I got to get you. I got to get you nailed down for a for a, an interview. All right. Yes. Um, why don't you uh, share with folks? Awesome, awesome keynotes. Want to tell us? Yeah. About the keynotes. Yeah. yeah. So on the first day, we have Sophia Noble, um, who just launched a new race and gender and technology program, which is so awesome. Um, she's at UCLA. And on day two, we have Messiah Bursiaga Hamid, who um, has been a staff and is now the board chair of Native Land, um, a tool that folks have hopefully and likely already used when you are looking up whose land you are on. Um, and then on day three, on Friday, we'll have what I can only imagine is going to be the most high energy, exciting keynote at nine in the morning from Evan Greer. Um, she's the director at Fight for the Future, um, an organization N10 has partnered with on some of our um, advocacy on save.org, et cetera. So action-packed keynotes, lots of great ideas. It's going to be I really good. Action-packed, centering diversity, admire it, admire it. I want to remind folks that uh, N10 is also known for wonderful food. They spend yes. a lot of time thinking about what the menus are going to be. The food is always excellent. So if you're a foodie, you might say, ah, oh, you know, it's a conference. All right, we'll get some We'll get some rubber chicken, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll tolerate it. Now it's not, that's not going to be the case. That's not going to be, if there's chicken, there'll be chicken cordon bleu. There will also be vegan options. There will be vegetarian options. There will yeah, be lactose We usually have one, one day or at least one full lunch menu that is all plant-based. Um, and then we have, you know, lots of options. Everything is labeled. The full menu and every ingredient is in the conference app so you can see whatever dietary needs you might have, how those are or are not met. Um, and we actually just met yesterday with the catering rep um, and slowly watched his eyes kind of glaze over as we were saying, you know, not just, oh, could we have a sandwich instead of this salad? We were saying inside the menu, we see that you're using this ingredient and we're changing this specific ingredient. And we would like, you know, we don't need brisket uh, at nine in the morning for our attendees. What's a plant-based <laughs> option? And every time he said tofu, N10 staff were like, we're going to challenge the chef to come yeah. up with something better. That's so, right. They, they, yes, you pay attention to the food. It's it's, yeah. it's nourishment. It's the nourishment exactly. of the Exactly. And if you're spending your time in a session feeling kind of irky because you didn't like what you ate or feeling hungry because there wasn't food for you. Oh. It takes away from your opportunity to learn. So we want folks to really feel taken care of so that however, whatever big needs they have, and sometimes they're not learning needs. We know sometimes people come to the conference just to like find those two other people who have done the thing that they've done and feel like they could hear somebody say to them, like, yeah, it's really horrible, <laughs> you know, but you can get through this project <laughs> or you can find a new vendor or, you know, whatever it might be. Like you also have the, the emotional capacity to go take on finding those conversations because again, you're not spending all your time worrying about are you going to have food or where is a bathroom in this giant convention center or whatever else, you know? You take care of the, you take care of the whole person. You do the whole people. There's more yeah. than one person attending. Uh, yes, <laughs> there is more than one person, which is part of why it feels a little <laughs> overwhelming um, because we've spent, 
you know, of course, in 2020, there was no conference. And then in 21 and 22, it was a virtual conference. And, and there were lots of people registered, which was great, but you never had to necessarily feel the kind of um, feel the size of that many people registered, right? Uh, the way you do when you see everybody from the stage and you look out at a big room, but we're, I mean, we're on track to have close to 2000 registrants. Of course, some of those are virtual, but um, that's a really big number, <laughs> you know? So we'll probably have 1500 in Denver um, and 500 online. A lot of people, yeah. yeah, but you're, you're, you're curating us. You're taking care of us. Yes. You are yes. Taking care of We're going to take care of everybody. And finally, I want to remind listeners that this is called the Nonprofit Technology Conference, uh, hashtag 23NTC, but it is not a conference that is exclusively for technology folks that, that are, you know, CTOs and technology majors and computer science. It is not. It's for anyone who uses technology in their social change work. And isn't that all of us? I mean, unless you're still on index cards uh, and legal pads. And we welcome you. If you're still on index cards, don't be overwhelmed. Come to the NTC. Someone will sit down with you and they will get all those cards into a database for you, probably for free with like the first month of the CRM for free. Like <laughs> we just need to get you off those cards. <laughs> all right. Hopefully not. But yeah, it's, it's not only for technologists. It's for anybody who uses technology. That's why I love to capture... Uh, a, a ton of uh, of ton of interviews to share to share yeah. with listeners. All right. Thanks so much, Tony. I can't wait to see you in Denver. It's going to be Absol so fun. Absolutely, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Good luck with the conference planning, and we'll see you in uh, about a month. A little awesome. Less. See right. you so soon. Thank you, Amy. Mm -hmm. Folks, you're suffering a lackluster host. Fifteen minutes talking to the CEO of N10 about the conference that they're hosting. And I forgot to ask, where's all the information? Where do folks go to register? You go to n10.org. n10.org gives you all the information, of course. It's very prominent on their site. Sheesh. Now it's time for Tony's Take Two. Last week, uh, I was listening back, and I talked about being in person with people again. And... You know, I gave you a bunch of superficialities and generalizations, but why? I didn't. I, where's the detail? Why, why is it joyful and pleasurable and so much better and authentic and real? Well, you know, so I'm listening. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, but why? But why? I'm asking myself as I'm listening. It's a good thing I have guests because otherwise this show would would crash guests who provide substance and detail. Uh, otherwise, you'd have 45 minutes or an hour of superficiality. Okay, so why? This is why. Bunch of reasons. As a as a the guy, you know, I'm the presenter at, at a webinar, I don't have to scroll. If it's a big, big audience, you, know, you have to scroll on Zoom to, to see everyone. Not so. They're all there. They're all right there in front of you. It's, it's beautiful. All right, watch the generalities. Now, beautiful. Watch the uh, generalities. I'm trying to give detail. And also, when I'm sharing my screen, you know, PowerPoint, everybody gets reduced into a little like a one and a half by one and a half box. And you, you can see even fewer people than when I'm not screen sharing. So no tiny boxes. Everybody's visible. I can I can see the screen. My slide up on the screen, the nice big screen, and I can see the people. There you are. It's wonderful. Watch the generalities. Conversations, of course, conversations. So much easier. Not once did anybody have to say, okay, well, you go first. Uh, parse out the, delegate out the conversation. We're in face-to-face. -face. It's just, it's natural. The, the naturalness of it. Naturalness, is that a word? The hands. You see the hands immediately. You don't have to scan the scan the screen to see a little uh, uh, one-dimensional hand going up. Real hands right there in your face. It's fantastic. More generalities. Watch that. Watch that. The laughter. The groans. You can hear them. People aren't muted. 
feedback, live, live and in person. So much easier for the audience to cross talk. It's, it, it's, doesn't work in, in, in Zoom, especially if it's particularly large. People can't talk at all. Everybody's, the, the questions are in chat. That's another, there's another reason. You get the, the questions dynamic back and forth. Well, I don't quite understand. You know, this, this chat, chat typing. And, and audience members were talking to each other. This was, I'm going back to a conference I did in Long Island. Yeah, people could talk to each other and, and help each other. I, I don't pretend to have all the answers. So those are all my reasons. That's the detail. That's what you, that's what you, you listen to nonprofit radio for detail, not superficiality and generalizations. So if you can, if you get the opportunity, and then of course the lunches, I didn't even mention just the face to face lunches. And of course, natural conversation. Not not delayed, you know. It's it's not a, no problem if you interrupt somebody's talking while you know somebody jumps in. It's it's not it's not an issue. Everybody can be heard. It's natural, natural. So if you get the opportunity face to face, please take it. Don't make virtual your default. Don't go there. That's Tony's take too. We've got Buku, but loads more time for the uninterrupted is a social enterprise for you. Sit back and get comfy. It's a pleasure to welcome Tamara Ryan to Nonprofit Radio. She is CEO of Women's Bean Project, a social enterprise that provides transitional employment to women attempting to break the cycle of chronic unemployment and poverty while operating a food manufacturing business. She's a former partner and board member for Social Venture Partners Denver and currently serves as part-time interim CEO for the Social Enterprise Alliance. She's at Tamara Ryan and the enterprise is at womensbeanproject.com. Tamara, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. It's great to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Why don't you first explain what Women's Bean Project is all about? Because it's an example of what you and I are going to talk about for a while. We are a food manufacturing business. We started with bean soup in 1989, and that's where our name comes from. But today we have 50 different food products that we sell all across the country. What makes us different is that we employ women who are chronically unemployed. So a typical woman we hire hasn't had a job longer than a year in her lifetime, though the average age is 38. They come and work for us as a, for a full-time job for six to nine months. And during the time they're with us, we teach basic job readiness skills. And then we also, in 30% of her paid time, we teach her life skills. We teach problem solving and goal setting and budgeting and planning and organizing. And so this whole thing is her job for these six to nine months. At the end, she graduates our program and moves on to mainstream employment in the community. So we're kind of two businesses. We're running a food manufacturing business and a human services business. Which is exactly what, what you know, the type of model we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about. What, what I admire about that, I found very interesting, is that uh, you said it um, well, you're used to saying it, but I, I want to call it out for 30% of their paid time, the, the women's paid time is not spent working. It's spent learning the, the soft skills of, of employment. Yeah, we call it the U job, the Y-O-U job. So she has the bean job and she has the U job and she's paid for all of it. Uh, yeah, well, so I, I see the value and you've had, uh, you've had a lot of success with uh, folks, women having jobs longer than a year after they've, they've I, I'm going to say graduated, but. After yeah, we graduated. use that term also. Okay. After they've graduated uh, so, the, the project? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we track them at 6, 12, 18, and 24 months. Yeah. And we track them. Uh, what makes it easier to track them is that we pay them for those check-ins. So we pay them $50 to check in at six and 12 months, $75 at 18 months, and a hundred bucks at two years to check in with us. And what we found that is that at a year, uh, 95 plus percent of the women are still employed. And I think what makes that, what's significant about that is that 
again, the women we hire haven't had a job longer than a year in their lifetime before they come to us. So what we really want to know is, are we setting them, helping them on a path for long-term employment and, you know, being able to sustain that employment? So what kinds of nonprofits, our our listeners are all in small and mid-sized nonprofits. So I, I think this is an ideal subject for listeners. What, what, types of nonprofits could consider having a, a, a social enterprise as part of their part of their work? I think organizations that are serving people who are uh, on use, you know, by necessity on public benefits and really who, for a variety of reasons, whether it's because of a felony background or it's because of uh low education levels or because of a history of addiction, you know, a variety of things that get in the way of, of getting and keeping employment. And so if you're serving those people anyway, one way to help them, in addition to helping them with build their foundation of, of soft skills, is to employ them in a social enterprise. So that's just one way that a social enterprise is run. But it's, you know, it, it as adults, we learn by doing. So it's a really great way to work with the people that you're working with anyway to create a business where you're helping those same people in the long run be able to be successful. Uh, you were a partner of uh, Social Venture Partners in Denver. What, what did you look for when you were investing in these types of organizations? Well, we specifically in SVP Denver were looking for small organizations that both needed some funding, but also needed some technical assistance. And the reality is that we don't, it, if, you're, if you're running a human services organization, you don't necessarily have somebody on staff that has the skills to uh, launch a business, for yeah. instance, you know, right. uh, even to do the market research to figure out what kind of business that might be, um, have the operational skills. You're, you're running a, biz- a human services business, but you're not necessarily running, say, in our case, a food manufacturing business. And so SVP really looked for organizations that needed the skill set of our partners and also could benefit from the funding that we were providing. And in SVP's model, the funding and the, and the technical assistance go hand in hand. So what, what about organizations that, that uh, don't have the expertise that they need uh, let, let's let's assume uh, most of our listeners are not in Denver, so they don't have access to SVP Denver. What? Uh, <laughs> how can they? How can they fill that void and even just start? Like you're saying, like initial market research. How, how do they know where to get? How to get started? Well, every nonprofit has a board, and I would um, venture to say that most nonprofits have business people on their board. So. Um, there are a lot of resources, either through board members or through people that board members know. The one great thing that I've observed, um, and I didn't come from the nonprofit um, world for my entire career. I was in the private sector before. And what I love about being in the nonprofit world is that there are lots of people who want to help and, and just need to be, need, they need help knowing what you need. And so I've been, I've seen lots of ways we've been able to engage uh, professionals in it for us in, in food manufacturing um, who have expertise that we need to sit on, say, a business development committee and help us look at uh, new product ideas. And I think that same concept could easily be applied to any organization that's trying to figure out what kind of business they might run. Cause that's the key. You could, decide to start a business, but it still has to be a viable business. The, the yeah. just, just starting a business, you're not going to get the halo effect of, you know, you're doing it as, as a nonprofit and therefore it's going to succeed. All the same market um, factors come into play that do for any business. And so you, you, you really do have to still find a viable business that makes sense, that is needed, that you can price appropriately. Um, one of the things about uh, the research for social enterprises or whether or not consumers are going to buy uh, from a social enterprise, whether it's a product or service, 
one of the statistics is that all other things being equal, so in other words, quality, price, et cetera, people more and more have a tendency to purchase products and services from uh, a mission-based organization or a mission-based company. But the most important part of that statement is all other things, all other things equal. <laughs> all other things being equal, right. Yes. Right. You, have to, you have to be able to compete with your private, enter- strictly private enterprise, uh, market-driven, profit-driven competitors. Yeah, you have to be able to compete. And yet at the same time, you you also need to figure out what your um, competitive advantage is yourself. So for instance, in our case, we're able to, um, we're right now in the holiday season, you know, September to December for Women's Bean Project, 70% of our sales um, are, are made. So, you know, we really peak during this time of year. One of our competitive advantages is we can bring in volunteers to help us, say, pack boxes or help us, you know, get shipments out the door or, you know, help with with prep of product. And um, that's something that um, is a bit of a competitive advantage, because if we were just, you know, in the in the private sector running a regular food manufacturing operation, we really I don't think we could, you know, look somebody in the eye and get and get that kind of assistance. But for us, it's a way to engage donors, to get people really invested, get new customers. You know, there are so many ways that that bringing people from the community in to help us is advantageous, not just to get the work done, but to get additional support for our organization. So you've opened yourself up to a whole new set of metrics as uh, as having a social enterprise. And we're going to get to what what the relationship is between the company and a nonprofit or, you know, how that could be set up by different, uh, by different organizations. But, but you've, you know, you've got to measure, you've got to measure the company's profit and the company's output and productivity, productivity per employee hour or, you know, whatever, you know, the, 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 the key metrics for the business are as well as the, the, the social outcomes of, of your graduates and, and well, yeah, your, your employee members and your, 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 and your graduates. It's a, you know, I joke sometimes it's a horrible way to run a business, right? Because we intentionally every day hire women. We don't know if they're going to come to work every day. Yeah. I mean, that's part of their barriers to employment and we work with them and they help, we help them become great employees. And as soon as they become great employees, we let them go off and become somebody else's great employee. And we start all over again. Uh, and it's so it's super inefficient. And we also overhire. So if we were uh, a for profit company and we were trying to be as efficient as possible and, you know, squeeze every penny out of our margin, we absolutely would not hire as many women as we do. Uh, but that's not the point. Our, the point for us is to use our business to advance our mission. So we hire as many women as possible as we can justify based on what our sales are going to be. So what are some of the things that nonprofits need to think about uh, beyond all right, what's a, what's a viable business? What, what other, what other factors are important? Well, I mean, maybe the biggest thing is it's hard. And I joke sometimes with our, our team, like if this were easy, everybody'd do it. Yeah. Do we really want to do it? Do we really want to do it is an important threshold. Yeah, it, absolutely. And it's hard because, you have to have the ability to entertain two opposing ideas at the same time, right? We need to run an efficient manufacturing business and we also need to deliver on our mission. And those two things actually often don't go together very well. And so being able to both entertain those ideas and acknowledge that perhaps today the business wins, maybe we, um, the women, instead of um, spending 30% of today's, time in a class, say financial literacy, they're on the production floor for the whole day because we have a lot of work to do. But tomorrow, maybe it's the it's reversed and they're spending the whole day in some sort of training and not making any product at all. And so our job is every day to, to balance that out. Uh, and so that's, I think, one of the hardest things is, uh, is having that ability to understand that if not for the mission, your business doesn't really exist, but yet 
your, your business has to be profitable in order for it to make sense and contribute to the mission. And, and that, you know, balancing act, you know, is a constant. So that's part of what makes it hard. The, uh, I would say another uh, thing is that you, you still have to find all the other, I mentioned this before, all the other market forces still prevail. So if you have a product that nobody wants to buy, you're not going to have a successful business. Yeah. And there's no amount of mission that's going to forgive that, at least not in the long term. And, you know, at this point, Women's Bean Project is 32 years old. And I think in a lot of ways, we've just been lucky. There was no initial market research that said, you know, bean soup, I think that's the key to success. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody did any kind of research at the beginning. Our founder just noticed she was in her late 50s. She'd gone back to school to get her master's degree in social work. And she noticed that a lot of her friends who were around her age were eating bean soup for health reasons. And so she invested $500 of her own money and bought beans and put two women to work making 10 bean soup. The crazy thing is that's still 32 years later, our best-selling product. All right. <laughs> that's a terrific story, uh, but it's, 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 it's more or less of what not to do in in determining what 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 business is going to survive because you know you said it i'm i'm just going to amplify it no amount of mission is going to forgive uh bad bad marketing or a bad uh, a bad entry choice or or any of the any of the market forces yeah and i think you also have to have either a product or service that um has a decent enough margin margin to sort of forgive the inefficiency and I also wouldn't choose food for that reason. <laughs> right. And the ship yeah. sailed for us, but yeah. you know, that's not the highest margin, um, you know, product category for sure. Right. Right. No food is notoriously low margin. Um, but you know, you said you gave an example of hiring more, many more women than you need, or than you would. If, well, maybe than you do need than you would if you were strictly market driven. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, so before I, before we move on, any other advice about the the opening questions to talk about with your board, with your leadership? Well, another aspect of balance, I think, is uh, is balancing being opportunistic and and um, and not being um, so bullish on an idea that you ignore um, other signs. So. As an example, uh, years ago, we were approached by somebody who had a whole bunch of equipment for canning, and they were willing to give us all the equipment, let us have access to the facility, a whole bunch of things. But what we really had to analyze, and I think this happens actually a fair amount to organizations that are thinking of starting businesses. Somebody thinks, I've got a great idea. I'll just give this to them. But the thing was, we weren't in the canning business. We are a dry food manufacturer. And what it would have meant for us to sort of, you know, pivot and, and create another business, you know, really wasn't worth that, what seemed like a super generous donation. Um, it was, uh, forgive the pun, but it was a whole can of worms that we didn't necessarily need to, <laughs> need to open. But right. that's an example, because when you start talking about this, all manner of people are going to surface who are interested and willing to help. And one of the most important things you might need to do is say no, thank you. Because, um, you know, sometimes gifts are not always gifts in the, you know, uh, when it really comes down to it, it's maybe not the best strategy. And it's sometimes hard not to get all, you know, um, starry-eyed about uh, something that seems like a fantastic gift. And the next right. thing you know, you're in the canning business and you never intended to be in. Right. Now you're doing uh, uh, wet soups instead of instead of dried soups. That's a that's a huge pivot. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's and that's in the nonprofit, the, 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 the straight uh nonprofit sector as well. You know, there, there are gifts that come sometimes with strings, you know, if you'll, if you'll adopt this, pro create this program or yeah. uh, women's school, but if you start admitting boys, I'll give you this seven figure gift. You know, that's, those are you know, the, the gift size can be transformational, but that doesn't mean you, you sacrifice your mission and transform your mission to accept a, you know, a, a million dollar gift. Um, so, all right. But, you know, interesting, you know, you 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 evaluate it 
from a, uh, the nonprofit perspective, but also from the, the market force perspective, you know, now we're entering, it's a whole new business. Now we're going to be competing with uh, um, Campbell's, you know, Cam- Campbell's and Hunt's and uh, Hormel, and, you know, whoever, whoever the big, whatever the soup manufacturers are. Um, all right. So value, right. Uh, important lesson to sometimes the, the better answer is no, no thank, a gracious no. Yes. All right. All right. Um, advice on types of businesses that that le- could lend themselves to this. I'll start with um, service businesses because sometimes those can actually be really great supports for um, uh, really great social enterprises and supports for um, human services business organizations. Um, the nice thing about service businesses is they're very localized. So you could serve one community and then an example of a service business might be a uh, uh, landscaping business. Or there are several social enterprises around the country that do uh, go to business districts and clean up trash and snow removal and leaf removal and those kinds of things. Again, those are very localized. And what's nice about that is that you could do it in this city and then maybe you pick it up and you do the same thing in another city. Those are really cool ways to be able to employ a lot of people and engage in in multiple communities. Uh, And there are, um, you know, other businesses um, like uh, pest control is another one where, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a pretty expandable business. Um, cleaning services, especially in offices and things like that. Um, so those are some examples of businesses that actually could be really great businesses for um, people. And you, when you're selling a service, that's a really different dynamic than, say, you know, uh, consumer packaged goods, where you know you're competing with marketing dollars from companies. It's just a much more challenging. Um, area to be in uh, you also uh, you also have the advantage of being able to as you said start local so that you can say initially the impact of our work is local yeah and so there's a there's an appeal to an appeal to the mission with your caveat that uh, uh, lots of mission is not going to overcome bad you know uh, uh, not being competitive market market wise but yeah. you can say that you have that you have that local impact at least as you're you know as you're getting started And then, as you're suggesting, you know, you can expand. And I think, you know, if you're making a product, one of the potential challenges is that if you make a product that, in our case, our product's consumable, so we can have repeat customers. You know, of course, it has to be a, you know, good quality and taste good and all of those things. But we have customers we've had for 30 years and who keep coming back over and over again. If you end up making a product that's not consumable, the challenge is that, you know, say you're making um, uh, a cutting board. There's only so many cutting boards somebody needs or only so many gifts you can give, you know, to other people. And so you always have to be finding new customers to be able to grow your business. And that said, there's, you know, when you start out, your customer base is so small that the the world really is, you know, is pretty large of possible customers, but there's a point at which um, without spending a lot of marketing dollars or advertising dollars to get noticed that you really sort of tap out the people you can access. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so that's an interesting challenge of making a, a product where you could teach some really amazing skills, but at the same time, you know, you might have a limited customer base. Can I get these? Uh, can I get these meals and just add water? Is, are they are they that are they that simple from Women's Bean Project? Pretty straightforward, like that. So uh, a soup mix, you would add water. You'd put it in, a, say, a crock pot and let it cook for the day. And at the end, you and our ten bean soup, you would just add a can of tomatoes. Or you could add, you know, vegetables and a whole bunch of other things if that's what you wanted. But just to finish off the recipe, it would just be adding a can of tomatoes. We also have baking mixes. And so in that case, it's everything that you need. You you would add an egg and some oil or butter. And you've got brownies or cornbread or scones. Um, so it's a the nice thing about like a baking mix, for instance, is you don't have to 
buy a bag of flour and buy a bag of sugar and all of those things and then have them left over. You can use our mix and use the eggs that you have and the butter that you have. And next thing you know, you made these yummy brownies and you look like a, t- a total baker right. and no one's the wiser. Right. You don't have you don't have four <laughs> and three quarters pounds of flour, flour left, left over. Yeah. Right. OK. Yeah, a little digression, but I was interested in, in how simple the, the meals are. Okay. We do have an instant. We we have, yeah, we have instant beans and rice cups also, which literally are adding water. Um, And that, and we also have some ready to eat snacks. So, you know, just keep them in your desk and, you know, nosh on them whenever you feel like it. Okay. So we have a pretty wide variety of different products. Okay. Well, I'm going to check. Yeah. Women'sbeanproject.com. So, uh, okay, so service businesses. You're suggesting service businesses. What what else? What else could folks consider? Well, there's some great social enterprises. Again, these are pretty localized that do screen printing. So you know, you think about you're in a city and you have your screen printing business. You're able to employ people and and you're able to serve all the companies locally for you know their employee t-shirts or you know races or things like that again very localized but also scalable mm-hmm. as well um there's a a really awesome social enterprise out of boston called more than words and more than words serves youth 16 to 24 who are either aging out of the foster system or justice involved and they sell books. They sell books that have been donated from the community. And the, the youth learn the skill of, you know, scanning the ISBN number to make sure it's marketable. And they recycle the books that don't have uh, aftermarket value. And then they sell the books that do. And they sell both online. They have a couple of bookstores. The cool thing is all these youth um, are, you know, they're helping them find homes, they're helping them with their academic goals, helping them sort of adult, you know, into the community. Yet at the same time, they're also learning these skills of running a book business. So they have measurable um, uh, um, outcomes that they have to achieve. They have certain sales goals that they have to meet for their various channels. It's a really amazing business mm. that, um, that they're operating. And the youth stay with them for a couple of years. What's the name of that one? It's called More Than Words. Okay. Um, back on the service side, uh, I, I've seen uh, copy copy services, copy and print and print shops. Yeah, and Bank of America actually has their own social enterprise that they operate in house. And they serve um, people with developmental disabilities or or they employ people with developmental disabilities, but they do all the printing for their own needs. Um, There's also electronics recycling. Uh, The the statistic is that people who are on the autism spectrum have an unemployment rate of about 85%. And, And yet they are uniquely talented to disassemble electronics. So there, uh, there are electronics recycling organizations that employ people on the autism spectrum to just disassemble. And, um, and then they part of, so they're providing the employment, they're getting the donations of the electronics. Um, and in some instances, they're being paid by the companies to take the electronics. And then they also, they sell the commodities of all the things that come out of those electronics. Yeah, the metals, plastics. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about that as a, you know, we use the term triple bottom line, it's helping society, it's helping the environment, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's making money. That is a really awesome example of, of a business that hits at every level. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, another, these are good. Uh, another example or category well, there are uh, some social enterprises that, instead of employing people, provide employment services. So uh, there is a social enterprise that, um, here in Denver that um, specifically helps people who are bilingual, um, English-Spanish, get jobs in the community with employers who need people who are bilingual. But that could apply to kind of any language. 
or not even be bilingual, you know, so they, uh, and so companies come to them when they need people who, you know, maybe it's customer service people who can speak um, another language other than English. Um, And so again, a service business, but not where they're employing people. Right, right. And, And so companies pay for the, for the referral, for the screening. Yep. The, the 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 placement basically they're paying a, a placement fee. Yep, exactly. But there's you know there are just so many different kinds. There are cafes. That's a fairly popular oh, um, kind of yeah. social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Denver, we have an or uh, a cafe. It's called um, Same Cafe, and Same stands for So All May Eat, and they uh, it, it is a pay what you want model. So you walk in and they, the menu is listed for the day and you decide how much you're going to pay. I think I've heard of them. Yes. And, and so you might be sitting down and have, you know, decide that you want to pay $10 for your lunch, but you also might be sitting next to somebody who is um, experiencing homelessness and didn't pay anything. And if you d- decide, if you don't have any money to pay for your lunch, then you work in the kitchen or you clean or, you know, do dishes and, um, and so, again, it's a really cool concept that serves people all, you know, it, it's beneficial to the community at multiple levels. Excellent. These are cool examples. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So we talked about services, uh, some, some product. Uh, I love the recycling example, too. Uh, any, anything else you, you, before, we, before we move on to organizing these, these entities? Um, well, the, the last one I'll mention is one that's been around for a long, long time, like Women's Bean Project. It's called Grayston Bakery. They're out of Yonkers, New York, and they um, make the brownies for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So a big, the bulk of their business is, is brownies for Ben and Jerry's. And they also have now gotten into doing some retail sales and corporate sales. So you might see your, your listeners might have seen them in some for instance, Whole Foods at sort of a point of sale or point of purchase with a little brownie. And it says these brownies change lives. But um, Grayston is a for-profit company. So this is a nice segue into the next part of our conversation. They are actually a, a B Corp, a benefit corporation. And they, um, they have an open hiring model. So instead of specifically going out and trying to recruit people experiencing chronic unemployment like we do, they... Uh, are always accepting applications. And when they have an opening, they just hire the next person on the list. So they, they hire, they don't, you know, interview or, you know, look at qualifications. They just hire the next person. And, uh, and, you know, so they will have more turnover than a normal company would, but they're also within that community in Yonkers, they're, they're really changing people's lives. Give by giving them an opportunity for employment that they might not otherwise have had. Okay, that's interesting. Now, first, that's Grayston, G, like yeah. G R E Y S T O N. Grayston Bakery. Yeah. These these brownies save lives. Okay, so we, listeners, we might we might see those at, at uh, checkout. Sounds like point of sale places. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but then you know, there's the issue of you know giving a job versus teaching job skills in addition, like, like, like Women's Bean Project is doing, it seems to me that the, the, uh, the training beyond the, the skills for the job is, is more empowering than, than giving a job and, and just giving a job. Well, I think that's consistent with our philosophy at Women's Bean Project that there are, because we acknowledge that there are lots of things that get in the way of somebody being able to um, get and keep. The and keep, I think, is the important part, right? Like, in a, we, prior to the pandemic, and I think we're back to a, um, there's a lot of jobs, but, um, and so you could go from job to job to job in an environment where there are lots of jobs. But the important thing is, are you going to a job where you are a contributor, where there's opportunity for advancement and benefits and all the things that make it more of a career than just a job? Yeah. That's what we're trying to, to do and how we're trying to change the, our, the women we serve. That's the trajectory we want them to be on when they finish. Okay. 
All right. So, you know, of course, different missions. I mean, just like nonprofits, that uh, Grayston has a, has a, a different model, uh, but but they're they're generously hiring. They just hire the next person on the list. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So, yeah, as you suggested, and I, I want to talk about the how to organize and structure these, you know, like what's the relationship? Listeners already are in nonprofits. Most of our listeners are, uh, you know, how would. What would that relationship look like if they did start a, a social enterprise? Well, I know as um, as the interviewer here, you you will hate to hear this answer, but it depends. Okay. <laughs> well, listener, no, don't hold back on. Don't don't don't, don't tell listeners of nonprofit radio what you think they want to hear. No, <laughs> this is an educated, self-selected group. So yes, nuanced, so it, answers, nuanced answers are are very welcome. Well, it, it does depend, and it depends on uh, what you want to do and how you might want to structure it. And, and honestly, tolerance, risk tolerance of your board and, you know, of your team. So um, Women's Beam Project is a 501c3. A big reason for that is because we were founded in 1989. And if you wanted to do good, that was the choice, right? That's all you had. Um, today, there are lots of different structures you could, or opportunities. You could be a for-profit company um, and, and become a benefit corporation, a B Corp. You could be a subsidiary of a nonprofit. Um, you could be an LLC. You know, there are just so many different ways. And so generally, what I tell people is first figure out what you want to do, then figure out what the what corporate structure makes the most sense. What I will tell you is that I wouldn't necessarily change our corporate structure because we've made it work for ourselves. Our, the way we've structured ourselves by having sort of everything under one roof, the you job and the bean job, is that we've, that what that's done is it, it has allowed us to have a mixed revenue uh, pie, so to speak. So about 60%, 60% of our operating budget comes from our product sales. What that does is it supports the business, it supports women's time while they're working in the business. And it you know, gives us the ability to buy the beans and the flour and all those things and makes a small contribution to our program operations. And then we fundraise to support program operations. Because again, when a woman's in a financial literacy class or working on a resume or even in job search looking for the next job, we're paying her still. So we fundraise to both support those um, classes, but also to be able to pay her. And, and it, because we're a 501c3, we have the ability to do that. It also probably gives us a little bit of wiggle room in terms of our inefficiency. I, um, you know, I would, if we were, if, if all of our revenue had to come from our product sales, we would probably have to compromise the mission a little bit and hire fewer women because we'd have to run, you know, a, a, a business with much better margin than we currently do. Right, right. More efficient. Yeah. But I will also say that there are plenty of situations where the a board of a nonprofit, they might be interested in this idea of having revenue that's basically unrestricted revenue, uh, but they don't want to risk the larger organization or they do, or they want to just sort of run it on the side as sort of a separate entity and maybe not have it be a distraction within their main business, so to speak. There, there are risks in that as well, though. I've seen lots of uh, nonprofit, big human services organizations that run social enterprises, and they sort of treat them like the redheaded stepchild right? and, and look at them like, what have you done for me lately, little you know, business? Why are you not contributing more? When the reality is they're kind of stifling the, the growth of that, that business um, and, and perhaps, um, you know, causing it to, you know, not prosper. Yeah, um, that sounds like, do, a, a, like a mistake in, well, not only organization, but just in, in culture, in, yeah. in the way you think, the way board members and I guess the organization collectively thinks about it's it's social enterprise as like you said you know as a, as a, a, the ugly stepchild yeah and that's the risk right of of creating yeah. a structure where you sort of set it off to the side i mean i understand that sometimes that's done to avoid risk but sometimes it creates more risk for the survival of the business one of the things i worry about having been in this field for a long time is that you know uh, we've 
now come to a point where social enterprise is kind of cool. It's kind of come into its own. I joke that it's like Women's Bean Project's been wearing a velour tracksuit for 30 years, and now suddenly velour tracksuits are in. Right. Uh, but the, you know, I so stay behind. <laughs> That's like me with bell bottom suits. Yeah, you know, exactly. Stay behind long enough. If I hold on to these things long enough, they'll come, they'll come. My dozen bell bottom suits will come back. Yeah. It turns out that's happening for social enterprise. But what I worry is that organizations will start a business and do that and sort of cut it off at its knees and not even maybe recognize that. And it won't survive. And then they'll look back later and say, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. But I, I can tell you that if it, it's not always because it's a bad idea that it doesn't work. It could be because you just didn't give it the opportunity to flourish. We in the nonprofit world are notoriously risk averse. That's not a newsflash to anybody I know. And, and, and so the challenge is to be willing to take some risk and balance that risk. You know, it's a risk reward ratio in a business and balance that risk a little bit um, with, um, with what the benefit could be long-term. All right, you started to transition again. Uh, I love it, the way you uh, segue easily uh, to lessons, you know, lessons learned, things to look out for, things to be sure you, you've you considered. You've been doing this for 30, what, 32 years? Th- yeah. 32 years. Well, I I often say we have 32 years worth of mistakes we could totally help somebody else avoid <laughs> and leave them free to make all their own mistakes. Right. Um, you know, it's... it's I would say the lessons learned are are consistent with what I've been saying, which is you really do. Um, if you want a social enterprise to survive, you really do have to embrace it as as being a means through which you're going to deliver on your mission, and not set it on the side and say, "Well, you know, someday you're going to make me some money, and I'll be able to use that money to advance my mission." They have to be interwoven. Um, so, it, you know, we don't exist to make bean soup, yet we can't exist without it. And that idea that the two are inextricable um, is the mo- probably the most important thing and the most important, honestly, lesson that I've seen. I, I watched a, a social enterprise um, be formed out of an organization um, that was providing initially providing this same service for free. And then they formed the social enterprise to um, monetize the service, but yet they kept offering the service. So they had this business and they kept offering the service for free. Right. So they're completely so, themselves. Yes. And, um, and then eventually decided that the social enterprise wasn't working. And the, 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 the problem I thought, you know, it's, uh, it's easy Monday morning quarterback, admittedly, but um, you know, was that they set it up to be, you know, be its own competition. So of course it was, there was always going to be that tension and that conflict. You've got enough tension and conflict just trying to advance your mission and advance your business without setting yourself up for failure. So, um, you know, that's another lesson, which is be prepared for there to be tension between the business and the mission, but be okay with that because that's part of what you're doing is you're, you're trying to change the world by using market forces uh, and, you know, we are a, we're a country of consumers. So let's take advantage of the fact that we are a country of consumers. Everybody needs to buy products and services. So what a great opportunity to, um, to, to for lack of a better word, exploit that. I love the way you say you're, you're working to change the world by using market forces. Um, all right. Any, anything else you want, to, you want to leave folks with? Anything that uh, we didn't talk about that you feel is, is important? Anything I didn't ask about? You know, I would say uh, that the last thing would be that if you are thinking about um, starting a social enterprise, start looking at other models and seeing what other groups are doing. And especially if they're localized, there's, you know, you, there's no reason to, that you wouldn't be able to learn from their mistakes. Um, so I, you know, we have been asked often whether or not we would expand Women's Bean Project out of Denver uh, across the country. What we have chosen instead is to be more open source, where we look forward to sharing the things that we've learned, because I think ultimately if we want to lift up the whole field, not just, you know, aggrandize Women's Bean Project. That's not our goal. 
Um, our goal really is to help other organizations create or prosper with their social enterprises, not just, you know, have us get bigger and bigger. There's enough need to go around. What about um, Social Enterprise Alliance? Is that a resource for folks? It absolutely is. And that might be a great place to start to figure out what is out there. They have um, Social Enterprise Alliance has uh you know, members all over the country who are involved at various levels of social enterprise. Mm. So they might be running social enterprises or they might be consultants to social enterprise. Um, if you need an attorney to talk with, for instance, about what your corporate structure might be, there are resources there. Um, but the nice thing about that is if, if you're in the initial stages of just doing research, it's a great place to start. Okay, good. Uh, value. You can have conversations with folks. You can, you can, it's a good place to start your research and, 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 and grow if you decide to. I mean, yep. you might start your research and decide it's not really, you know, you can't tolerate the risk or the tension. Uh, it's just as something you don't want to take on, but at least you do it, make that decision informed. Yeah. I always think that um, fear is not a reason not to do something, right? Like you can acknowledge the fear and sort of do the things that, that you need to do to, um, to try to overcome or, you know, uh, address the fear, but um, staying no to something just because you're afraid it's maybe not the best reason. Uh, and I think also, you know, we have a tendency to sit at the at the starting line and try to anticipate all the problems we're going to have. And and I guarantee, first of all, we'll be wrong about what problems we think we're going to have, and and whatever solution we decide is going to not be appropriate for whatever problem you end up having. <laughs> and so ultimately you just got to start and, and have faith that you have gathered the resources and the expertise enough that you can address the problems as they come up. But I, I think that that's tends to be, and in my experience, just going to lots of, you know, speaking on lots of panels and talking with lots of organizations that are thinking about starting social enterprises is they they often get stuck at that starting line and have a hard time pulling the trigger. Um, the reality is it might not work, but think of all, I, I think you learn more from failure than you do success a lot of times. Yeah. Too much ready, aim, 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 and, and, and no firing. All right. Outstanding. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing the women's bean project story and, and beyond. Uh, Tamara Ryan, CEO, Women's Bean Project. It's at womensbeanproject.com. You want to look at their dried foods and other products, especially now around the holidays. And uh, Tamara is at Tamara Ryan. Thanks so much, Tamara. Next week, Ria Wong with Money Mindset. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at tonymartinetti.com. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. Great.